Jeff, last night for dinner, I had a jalapeno popper burger, and I have to say it was fantastic. So, I mean, it's like a normal burger, right, with bacon on it. And then instead of like ketchup or mayo, whatever, it had a like a jalapeno, like cream cheese, like big old layer on it. And it was working. It sounds kind of weird, but it was wonderful. So it wasn't like, like a rodeo burger where it's like just onion rings on a burger. You didn't just have legit jalapenos on top of a patty. No, they were like chopped and mixed in with like the cream cheese and then just spread on top of the, on top of it. And then, so it was like bottom bun and then there were lettuce, onions, pickle, the patty, and then cheese, bacon, and then the top bun had the cream cheese, jalapeno, like, schmear. Okay. I'm having a hard time, like, conceptualizing this, but... Let me see if I can find a picture of it. Yeah. It sounds appealing, at least. Like, at first, at first I did. I just thought you had a regular cheeseburger, and then you put jalapeno poppers on it. It seems gross, but... This seems a little bit more, um, it's been a long day. I don't know what the word is. A little bit more, you know, like cuisine, more, I don't know what the word is, thought out. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you've ever had like, you've had guac on a burger, right? Right. It was like that, but instead of being avocado spread on there, it was like cream cheese. And so- That's appealing. Yeah. And so it was just like, I mean- added fat from the cream cheese cream cheese is good it add a little bit different flavor to it that you don't usually get in a burger not as quite out there as like the um is putting peanut butter or a fried egg on a burger but then you know it, it was good so i guess what is your like preferred if you go like off the wall or non-traditional burger topping i do um, love a fried egg if you've ever had a fried egg on a burger. Yeah, I love an egg. And, and that's what I was just going to say is I don't know. It's hard for me because I do some weird things. So I don't know what's considered traditional and what's not. Like I love eggs on a burger. Like I think that changes the entire burger. Just any burger. Pick a burger. Throw a fried egg on top and it makes it better. Uh, I mean like pastrami, right? Like I don't know. Pastrami isn't your standard. But is you know, traditional burger topping. But does that count as untraditional i don't know i eat pastrami i I love onion rings on a burger so it's 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 just hard for me to say like what's traditional and what's not but all of those things are good lucky 13 has uh, it's out in salt lake at this point i think most people in utah have heard of lucky 13 but their peanut butter burger is fantastic i don't there's a lot i don't think you can get a bad burger at lucky 13 no they're very very good Um, okay i'm looking at a picture of your jalapeno burger now and that I like this. This is different than I thought. Yeah, that looks good. It was a nice. It was a nice change of pace. Like it was close enough that you're not like this is what am I eating? But it was, you know, it was a nice introduction of something different to the burger game. I, I mean, I don't eat vegetables just as a rule because vegetables are kind of gross. And I know that I'm weird and I still have, that's like the side of me that is still seven years old. I just never really matured past chicken nuggets and fried food a little bit. So the only problem I see with this burger that you sent me is the lettuce, tomato, and onions. 
I don't like raw onions. I could cook an onion. It tastes different. And I, I just don't like, and I'll eat each of these things individually outside of a burger. But when it comes to a burger, I don't know what it is, but fresh vegetables on a burger has never made sense to me. I, I don't like it because it's like the tomatoes get hot and soggy. I think that's gross. Lettuce is gross on a burger. It just kind of makes everything messy. So that's my, that's my hot take is even if you like vegetables, take them off of your burger and the burger is better almost every time. I okay. think that is true. I mean, I enjoy like the crunch of lettuce on our burgers. I can't really taste it, right? Like I want to have so, like, I can't really taste the lettuce, but I enjoy it's the variety of the texture of something else. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm probably the minority here because no, I think I think lettuce on a burger for a long time. I think there's a lot of people who are feeling that same way you are, and we'll probably get some hate mail. I don't know, but the know. if you have hate mail, send it Jeff's way, and leave me alone. Um, so we do have it is signing day. If you haven't noticed, I don't know which you know rock you've been living under. Um, if you care about sports at all, you would, you know, should know that today is the early signing day and there's a lot of guys. I think this is probably, this is my favorite class of the Kalani Satake era. There are a lot of what I would say are dudes in this class where you watch their tape and you're like, Oh, that dude, he's a dude, right? Like he, a kid can ball. And so, I mean, signing day always brings up a lot of kind of the same things I get rehashed over and over again, meaning you'll get people other talking and complaining about class ranks. Um, I just pointed out earlier that right now, if you look at the 24 seven team rankings, the gap between number one and number 20 is the same as the gap between number 20 and number 110 in the country. <laughs> so it's like, once you get past those, you know, like the top 15 and really the top 20, like, they're cleaning up on the four and five star guys. But then once you get into the three stars, like you're splitting hairs. And a lot of that, especially if you look at the 24 seven class ranking is driven by, you know, who is what the other, like what ESPN and rivals rate them. Cause the 24 seven composite score combines 24 sevens rating rivals, which is they, Rivals basically doesn't really watch film, right? Like they, and neither does ESPN. It's more or less just based on offers. Whatever offers get reported, then they, the whole SEC offers you, they assume you're good and you get made a four-star is more or less how they are working. Um, and there's even, if you don't believe this, there's a whole article about how there were some kids that made a fake page on Rivals and reported a bunch of offers and got a fake recruit bumped up to be a four-star. Um and I, I, so I used to write for rivals. I actually did on two separate occasions and like, I don't want to disparage my former employer, but they weren't really my employer. Mitch Harper was their employee. I work for Mitch. So I feel like I can disparage them if I want to. And I, I want to just testify to how true this is. So I used to go, yeah, BYU is a little bit unique, right? They're recruiting. They, they offer a lot of guys early. Uh, they offer a lot of guys who are truly under the radar, which is hard to do in today's day and age. That's that's what happens. And especially those early guys, they end up going and they, they blow up. So with that, 
I created a lot of the profiles on Rivals for, for guys that BYU was after. And occasionally, most of the time, most of the time BYU would offer a guy and they were the only offer at the time. Occasionally, a guy like Kimo Macaniole, I, I didn't create his profile on Rivals, but he's a good example that is recent uh, because he's in this class. But a guy like Kimo Macaniole, for whatever reason, did not have a profile on 24-7 sports by the time BYU started to get you know heavily involved. And when I created Kimo's profile, he had offers from a handful of P5 schools like Duke, you know, some of those ACC schools that are kind of obscure. Uh, he had a bunch of G5s, uh, a G5 offers and then BYU. So he probably had 10, 12 offers at the time. There were guys like Kimo uh, when I was working at Rivals as well that just somehow didn't get a profile for whatever reason. And then I was the one who happened to create it. So when I would create a guy at Rivals who had just a BYU offer, when the rating came in without fail, I could count on that rating being like a 5.3 on their scale. And so that was right on the brink of two to three star and usually fell on two star. They have some weird rating system that nobody really knows. I don't like the, the lack of transparency, but it was almost always, if it was just a BYU offer, two star guy. Chase Roberts is, is, an, is an example. When I created Chase Roberts's profile, two star guy, like that was his, that was his rating. And when I created the guys who had offers, so the guys like Kimo in this class, when I created those, if they had P5 offers without fail, that default rating that would come in was like a 5.5, like a mid three-star. If I happened to put one of the top 25 schools on there, one time I accidentally did, one time I meant to put, I can't even remember who I was going for. I, I meant to put, um, it was a, it was a, it was like an FCS school, like UC Davis or something like that, that a kid had a low level offer. And I, I meant to put that, but I was reading something or listening to something or whatever. And I accidentally hit USC. And so I gave him a USC offer when he wasn't even close. And the rating that came in a three, four days later was like borderline four star. And I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. And then I looked and realized, Oh crap, I made a mistake. And I went back in, deleted the USC offer, put the UC Davis offer and his, his rating stayed the same, like, because they don't go back in and change the, the rating. Once that rating came out, that's how it worked. The rivals guys, like the, the offers, that's just what it was. The ratings were just driven by the offers at 24 seven. It's very, very different, especially guys like the ones that BYU so frequently goes after where I'm the one creating the profile more often than not. When I create the profile, uh, I'll get a call so I'll, I'll submit my own request based on what I know, based on what people tell me about this player. And sometimes they'll take that and say, great, you know, let's, they'll watch a little bit of film and they'll confirm it and they'll, they'll give, give the guy the rating that I suggest. But more often than not, I'm getting a phone call. I'm getting an email, a text, something that just to say, tell me about this guy. And I'll give my input. The actual evaluator will go and give their input. And there's just a thought process that goes out. And that means that sometimes a player will sit for a couple of months before he gets a rating on 24 seven sports, because, you know, uh, Dylan Rollins, this class was an example that I created his profile and I thought he was a mid three-star good, but it was hard for evaluators to go and find time to check out a guy in Missoula, Montana. Like they couldn't get out there to see him live. And when you pull up his film, like he dominates, but he's playing against nobody. So it was really, really hard 
to to really gauge how good he was. So he sat unrated on 24-7 sports for a while. And eventually the rating came in and it was about where, where I, I thought it would be. But that's just the difference, right? Like the, all of that is a long way to say all these other places that just give a rating based on the offers. Like there is, I, I can from firsthand knowledge say there is zero thought that goes into that rating. It is, okay, BYU, yeah, you know, they're, they're not a power five. Uh, sometimes they're the top 25, so they're a little bit better than, say, a UTSA offer. So we'll give them a little bit higher, closer to a three-star, but still a two-star. That's just what happens. But at BYU, uh, but at, excuse me, 24-7 sports, I look at Chase Roberts as a great example. He was an 89. Like, he was knocking on the door of a four-star athlete on 24-7 sports, even though he only had offers officially from BYU and Utah, because that's all that he was really considering. But 24-7 evaluated his film and said, this dude can play. Right. Rivals looked at his offer sheet, said, uh, local kid, two local schools, yeah, he's a two-star. And that's what happened. Right. And so, and even if you look on the class rankings, you will see so the 24-7, it I mean, I know they kind of sold themselves as like, oh, we, you know, we put the composite at the top of everything. And so that we're trying to take our bias out of it and give you the best, like most holistic view. But the fact is they put the most effort into evaluating these kids and rivals and ESPN really don't, right? Like that's why 24-7 has become the service. And so if you look at their class rankings, you'll see the rank in a bold number. And then in a small box underneath it, you'll see another number. And that number is like, so the top number is based on the composite score, which factors in the rivals and ESPN ranking for that player. And then the one underneath it is the just based solely on their score from the 24 seven only rating. So in most of the time they're pretty close, but you'll see some disparities where like Baylor is number 41 on their composite ranking, but they're number 27. If you just look at, so Baylor got a lot of kids similar to like those chase Roberts types where, you know, probably had offers from Baylor and TCU, SMU, Houston, and other services said like, Oh man, probably a big target for SMU or Houston, probably bottom of the priority board for Baylor, TCU, low end three-star kid, slap them on there. Where if you watch their film, the kid can play and they may have just told people, like sometimes kids just say, no, I'm really interested in staying close to home. I'm not really interested in your program. Like, and I'm in schools move on, right? Like that happens. And so it's not, um, you know, once you get past that top 20 really of programs, it's like, it's really splitting hairs and it's really how good is your evaluation? How good is your player development? And that's really what it comes down to because it's like, is there a huge difference between, Oh, Cincinnati is at the 42 rank class and they got 24, three stars and their average players in 85 versus BYU is lower because of a smaller class this year, um, only having 16, but there's an 83.7, right? Like, is that 1.7 average 24, seven rating that big of a difference? No, like it's, you know, there's not, there's nobody like they didn't have since he, like they didn't have any four stars. They didn't get a five-star kid. That's going to be a game changer day one, as soon as he steps into the building. But, you know, do you trust your coach's valuations? And I think once basically 25 through 75 
all the classes are the same to me. It's like, it depends on who did you hit on? Who did you miss on? What, like, how good are your evaluations? Because you're going through the weeds and it's fit, it's academics. Like it is like cultural fit in the program. It's system fit with your scheme. You know, how much player development, if you do have some type of uh, coaching staff turnover, like are the guys that you brought in two classes ago going to fit in to your new system and things like that, right? Like you have a lot of, things like that. And that's what makes the difference in recruiting and building a program, unless you are Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Florida, USC, that are just sitting at the top 10 every year. And it doesn't matter what you do year in and you're out, you're just still going to pull an amazing class. Um, and one thing that people always say, they're like, Oh my gosh, like only in the super bowl, like of the 44 starters in the super bowl, only four of them were four stars or five stars. The rest were all two stars, three stars. Stars don't matter. Go and shove. It's like they don't hand those four and five stars out like candy, right? Like there there's, are, there's only like 35 stars. So period. in yeah, in 24-7 gives out 32 five stars every year to resemble like a first round draft pick. But if you like the flip side of that is not like you're looking at in doing in statistic, what is called selecting on the dependent variable where you're saying like, Oh, of people in the NFL, there's this many four stars, this many three stars, this many five stars, whatever. When to judge looking at the stars, you need to look at it. And if you flip it around five star recruits, it's like 60% of them, I think is the number end up getting, getting drafted into the NFL. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's like, crazy. That's, that is the, I mean, you look at where it's like, okay, the talent is there and people know it's there. And the ones that don't get drafted, it's usually because they end up starring on a season of last chance you. And that's the path that their life <laughs> has taken. It's not because they didn't perform at the collegiate level. Um, and let's, yeah. let's talk though about, let's take our star rating because stars matter. I think that's what we've just talked about. We've proven that. And let's apply it towards the the videos that get tweeted out by the schools when a player signs. So BYU's, they went with a classic video this year, right? Like it was a, a coach is sitting in the team room. He gets an alert on his phone, pulls it up. It's a, you know an edit of the kid, the actual recruit saying, hey, my name is Raider DeMooney. I am proud to be part of the Top Guns 21 recruiting class, which I have some thoughts on that here in a minute. And then it goes into the coaches now watching their highlights. Like it's a pretty classic, nothing super crazy, but it's really neat. It's really well done. If that is a star rating, I'm giving that a high three star. Like it's not going to blow anybody's socks off, but you're always happy to have that. I want to get your thoughts on what Utah did this year. So Utah, I love the concept of what they did. I didn't even see it. Let me take yeah, it. Yeah, I, I just sent you a link. So I love the concept of what they did. They, uh, how do you explain this? They went through, like it was the National Signing Day graphic, and then you pick your player, and it was like you're you're picking your player, like a profile oh, on NCAA 14. Like the right? creator, start your story. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so oh, you're they, where they the came from, it, and it looks like you're, you're playing a video game, and it's kind of cool. But then they get to the highlight portion and they made their own video game. And I understand or, or the took from process. 24 or busted out their Xbox 360 or PS3 and 
pulled out the NCAA. I thought that. I thought that that might be the case, but they have like their modern jerseys. Like they're using the the throwbacks that they wore this year, last year, I guess. I do know that the the U does have a video game development program. Okay. It's a graduate program. So they probably could have done some graphics like that. So I'm sure that's where it came from. Now I want to get your thoughts. What star grade are you giving that? I'm giving the idea. I think the idea is a five-star idea. I think it's great. I think the, I think the deployment and the actual production value here that I'm seeing, I'm really struggling to wrap my head around it. Like, why are you showing made-up video game highlights of a player in a Utah uniform against Washington, who has never suited up yet? Like these these highlights are fake. Yeah, I would have. It also looks like I'm watching. I would have just cut to there. To real highlight. Yeah, I would have just cut to real highlights. Yeah, so like bag the bag the video game thing. The video game thing to me, and it's not even like modern like Madden 21 graphics of this video game. Like it looks like I'm playing a football game in 2015. Like it's a little bit blocky. It's a little bit. I don't know. It's weird to me. So the whole the whole idea was great. But I think that that uh, I think that the ultimate end product was not great. Now I'm going to send you one more because the uh, I want to send you two more. We we've got to talk about Nebraska. Like their videos were fine, but the video that I saw of Nebraska was Branson Yeager. And look, I'm I'm not one that likes to crap on kids, but Branson Yeager, you're going to see him announced as. Uh, a Big Ten transfer who signs at SUU in a year or two. Like, it's it's just going to happen. Uh, but I want to send you a Liberties video. Liberties was absolutely fantastic. They won the video of the day for me. From the music to the graphics to the editing and the way that all it all comes together, they created their own, like, sports center desk, had their own hosts who are good hosts. Like, it wasn't, you know, with all due respect to – to Jerem Jordan and Spencer Linton, like these guys sounded like they could be on Sports Center, not on a BYU show. And they had like a oh, this is they, nice. This they is invested well done. some money into this, so we're gonna put these in our show notes. I want to hear what you guys think, like because these things are kind of fun. They're really for the fans, and it's just to make the kid feel loved. I love what Liberty did. They they won the day for me. Arizona State also had some good ones. Uh, Oregon's were really good as well, but Oregon's were kind of what you'd expect from Oregon. It, it felt very just organy, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, kind of the fun stuff. I love, I love when I love Arizona States. I'll send you that uh, Arizona States that they can play on the Sun Devils. I thought theirs was great. It's like a CD jacket. Utah State did. is nice, very simple. Like Utah State is very much in that that three star thing they just very simple like going in the locker room kind of zooming in on like a number with a graphic like it's not anything crazy but it's just very solid gets the job done right and it's and they had a very small class and i mean they got problems up there as everyone has i'm sure has seen in the news Uh, check out the check out the arizona state one i like when i like when there's creative ideas like this one and they pull it off and it's like okay that's cool so what Arizona States was is it's like an old school, like a CD, right? And it makes their the player's face look like a Sun Devil. Like they give them 
the, the maroonish color yeah. and yellow eyes. And then a sun devil actually appears behind him. You open up the CD and inside on the CD jacket is there like each track is, you know, the name where they came from position, height, weight, stuff like that. Just a nice little graphic. I thought this looked great. Arizona state did great. So check some of these out, you guys, because really it's fun. Like, Recruiting isn't fun to follow if you don't make it fun. So check some of these things out. These are some of the fun things that come with recruiting. And let us know what your best ones are. Garrett, you're spot on about problems at Utah State. They're a disaster. And if you're a recruit right now in the state of Utah or you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or you're Polynesian, you've got some serious questions about whether you're going to join and play at Utah State or not. Like they're a mess. Yeah, I don't it's bad. I have no idea like how I have no idea how they are there and how that was said. And it's gonna be some huge problems there that are going on and it's gonna it's not gonna get resolved really quick. And I feel bad. I mean, I feel bad for Blake Anderson walking into that position because apparently that happened the day he accepted the job. And, oh, I you know, know. yeah, that like it, it sounded like it got the day that it was reported that he was being hired is when apparently that call happened. So he may be walking into a job where there's a new AD and a new university president. And he posted a picture of them having their celebratory, you know, dinner with their new staff. And he uh, was at Texas Roadhouse because that's the only place to eat in Logan. <laughs> Oh, just brutal. So signing day, uh, BYU had a good day, 16 signees. Um, they, you know, the, like you said, the, the, the team ranking they're in the seventies, like that should have been expected. We've been saying that for a long time. I've kind of made it my quest to set those expectations for everybody. I've been going on the radio. I did, uh, an interview with the Des news, uh, this week and everything I, I've been trying to lay that groundwork of like, guys, this is going to be a low rated class, but that 83.7 average star rating, that's the best that BYU has had under Kaladi Satake. It's the best that BYU has had since 2010. Like this is a, uh, you know, it's the cliche of quality over quantity and, and BYU's there. Like, they've done really good this year. I really like, Everybody's talking about Logan Fano, John Henry Daly, Raider DeMuni, and for good reason. We've talked about those guys a ton, and we'll, we'll probably have more to say um, as we go throughout the show. But for me, the, the best, the two best hits, you know, the best gets that, uh, that really were kind of a surprise were Inoka and uh, Elia Miguel. Those guys are studs. And I think if they get to play a senior season in – um, if they get to play with senior season in California, then they are blowing up. And I think those are solid four-star guys. And they got, have they been able to spend more time on the camp circuit and get more things like those? I think those are the two kind of, those are, are the two crowns of the class for me. Not so much, obviously Raider DeMuni, John Henry Daly and Logan Fano are all huge gets and, you know, but they are local. And so it kind of felt, and obviously, you know, Raider and Logan have been, committed for a long time you know john henry daly's older brother michael was already you know he's on a mission right now but is already in the program we kind of expected for sure 
you know, John Henry Daly and writer DeMooney, um, you know, because they were already solid. And then it was a little iffy with Logan there for a bit, but, you know, Inoka and Aaliyah, the Miga brothers, like that was like a, you know, that was, we swooped in and kind of out of nowhere pulled them. And, you know, kind of thinking about this and someone pointed this out today, I don't remember who it was, um, just said like, if Utah had not committed to playing high school sports, and I know like obviously Jackson Dart blew up this season. If high school football gets canceled in Utah, Jackson Dart is probably going to BYU. Yeah, for sure. And it, because his only other FBS officer offer at that point was Louisiana, and he probably was not going to go down to Lafayette and play in the Sun Belt. Yeah, for um, sure. So it's, you know, it's, a, this year was just so weird and it's so in some cases it really helped BYU and a lot of you know in some players and other places guys you know that you think are kind of under the radar really had a chance to blow up because you know because there was no film to evaluate out of California a lot of coaches had time to spend time watching guys that they maybe wouldn't have watched otherwise it's true and and I'm with you so uh, on one hand the the pandemic and the decision to play hurt BYU because Jackson Dart went to USC, uh, but it did. It absolutely helped with, with Danoka and Elia Miguel. Uh, I, I just love those two. I love what those two bring to the table. So their story, um, Anoka, Anoka's probably the more prototypical prospect in terms of his size and length. He, uh, he, he really made some strides going into his, his senior year. So as a junior, he had good highlights, but he was a little bit, I guess as a sophomore, he was a little bit undersized still. Like the, the strength hadn't come yet. The height hadn't come yet. It started to come in and as his junior year, but even from his junior year until February, there was an Under Armour camp in February. He had grown and he had gotten a little bit bigger and he had a great showing that Under Armour camp. And, and within a couple of weeks of that camp, I think it was early February, end of January, Within a couple of weeks of that camp, he had pulled in offers from like Michigan State, Colorado, San Diego State, uh, Arizona State, handful of, of P5 schools. And it was clear that he had like arrived, like he was officially on the radar after that camp. Now, a lot of those schools, Arizona State in particular, Colorado to a certain extent, they their strategy is to offer more, offer first, right, to, to get into the door and then go and evaluate and kind of sort through, uh, you know, their, their, their priority, their hierarchy of who their main targets are or not. And other schools will typically, they, they want to go and they want to see a player in person before, um, before they extend an offer. So they show up at this camp, they start to get the, the offers from those schools that will offer first. And they started to get the attention from the schools who are, saying, hey, we'll come see you in the spring, and then we'll offer you. And then three weeks later, COVID happens and shuts everything down. So there was not the chance for the rest of the Pac-12 uh, to go out and see the Miguel brothers play in their spring, their spring football practices. They, they couldn't evaluate them in person. And then they couldn't evaluate them during the season because California didn't play at all. And so I firmly believe you're right that those two both, uh, Elia's a truck. Like he's just, he, I think Jeff Grimes said he just destroys people. And that's what he does. He's just huge and he moves really well. He's super strong. Uh, they're both vastly underrated. And it really is a product of the only film that, whether it be a talent evaluator at 24 seven sports or a college coach, 
they've got one camp in February and junior film, and that's it. That's all they've really been able to see. And even sticking in the offensive line, sometimes getting that senior film makes a huge difference, right? Like we pulled in uh, Sione Hingano from Chandler, who is someone who his junior film was very meh, but then he had a bit of a growth spurt. His body went from awkward teenager to a little more filled out. And he, you know, saw a jump in his athleticism and what was there to work with. And he played very well in Arizona and against good competition. And so that is, you know, he's a kid where, you know, he maybe if the season gets canceled, he doesn't have an offer anywhere. Right. Cause he, you know, he was under-recruited um, and he is maybe kind of a fringe, a little more of a project because he is like raw, but it's, you're kind of looking at it and saying like, hmm, okay, like your body took a big jump. That means you're probably not done growing. Let's try to like, you know, we think you could probably do something even if another year get you in the weight room. You're not tapped out yet. Like we are, think you have a fairly high floor, but a pretty maybe higher ceiling. We don't know quite where you land. Right. And so for those kinds of kids, that senior year is crucial to be able to start racking up and giving yourselves more opportunities, um, you know, more opportunities to play. So I think, so who is, I guess, who do you think is the best hit of this class? Like, who do you think by the end of their career is going to have been the greatest contributor? Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I am a firm believer in both Elia and Inoka. I think that is even ahead of Fano, Raider, John Henry Daly. They're going to be great, but I think that people are expecting them to be great, and I think they will be. I think that Anoka Miguel, if, if BYU doesn't have Logan, Raider, and John Henry Daly, we're talking about the Miguel brothers. We're trying to sell that as, hey, this is the cream of the class, right? This is the pinnacle. And I think they would deliver in every way. I, I think that is for me the the biggest hit because I think that they will have they will outperform their status in the class. I'm also I'm also pretty high on Dylan Rollins. Like he's my guy. Like I, I really like Dylan Rollins. I did Dylan followed me on Twitter like 18 months ago. And I checked out his film. And I thought, okay, like he's got something. Like it was clear that he was playing against nobody out there in Montana, but he was big, he was physical. And so I put him on my radar about a year and a half ago. And I've just kind of tracked him ever since. BYU extended an offer about six months ago. Um, and so I've gotten to know Dylan a little bit. We've talked on multiple occasions, you know, a lot over the last year and a half. And I think he's got it as well. Um, I think he's a, a player who's going to make a, a, a difference. I'm anxious to see. He's, a, he's truly 6'6", 285 pounds. He'll be 6'6", 300 pounds before too long. He plays with an edge. And I, I like that from, you know, everybody says that. You like it from an offensive lineman that you want him to just have that nasty. Well, he really does. Like, he's just tough. Like, he's a he, – he is – he embodies so much of what makes – big 10 offensive linemen good that they're just like these corn fed farmers that are just big nasty dudes and dylan has that the size is going to come um even his high school coach has said look like he's got every tool he needs he's not technically sound today like he's not but he's just big he's nasty he plays incredibly hard i think he's going to get under jeff grimes under eric mateos the technique is going to come and when it does, he's another one that watch out because he's going to be really good. 
I think for me, the, the biggest or the best hits of the class are, uh, you know, having Miguel and John Hearn Daly and Logan Fano. And that's, you know, the defensive line is something that has needed a big influx of talent. And it definitely, it got it today. Um, and looking obviously, you know, we're three years out before really they, we see a big impact from them, but I think, um, on the defensive line, that is where, that's where today signing class is really going to, you know, feel difference because we got some pass rushers, which is something that we've desperately needed for the last five years. Um, who is the one for you that got away? I know we always try to say like, focus on who you got and who's there, but who is one kid that if you could just, you know, say, man, we were so close and he slipped away. Yeah. I don't know how close necessarily BYU was, but I know that they, they gave it a, you know, their best shot. It was Jacob Schuster out of Washington, big defensive tackle. He ended up with Minnesota. Uh, I, I say him because he was such a, a need BYU needs defensive tackles and he fit really well. Uh, I, I could argue, Vo, uh, excuse me, Voy Tanufi as well out of East High School. He's a little bit smaller uh, than Schuster was, so I'd probably prefer Schuster over Tanufi. But both of them uh, were are LDS. They both, you know, had connections to the program, and so and BYU tried to get both of them. Um, you know, that's the way recruiting is. Like it wasn't like BYU did anything wrong. Like they they picked different schools. Like oh well, right. But I would say those two. I'm anxious to see what BYU does with their with the remaining six weeks before you know big signing day. Most kids sign early now, so it feels like today is like the signing day. But really, signing day is in February, so I'm anxious to see if they make a run at a guy like Victory Vaca. Uh, I know that Victory has expressed interest in BYU. He's also LDS. <laughs> Weight's going to be an issue with him probably throughout his career. 6'2", 350 pounds. He says he's closer to 330 now, but he's a big guy. Um, typically, BYU under Elisa Tuiaki errs on the side of bring in smaller guys and hope the weight comes rather than bring in big dudes and hope that you can get the weight off. So I don't know if they'll make a run at victory or not. But yeah, so Voitanufi, Jacob Schuster, those guys seem like ideal fits. At the defensive tackle spot, huge position of need. And so for me, if I could, you know, wave a magic wand and make anybody commit to BYU, it, it would have been those two. I think, you know, and it's, but it's not like you said, they just chose other schools, but those guys, like they, it's not like we didn't get left without light. Like there's no quarterback in this class because Jackson Dart was the only quarterback we offered this year. He went to USC. You know, it's not like those guys, like there's no offensive lineman or defensive lineman. The quarterback room is very full right now. And especially with everyone getting this year back, then it's going to be full for the next couple of years. And, you know, there are some guys targeted for 2022. So it wasn't, you know, a necessarily a huge deal to not get a quarterback this class, um, even though, you know, Dart is definitely a game changer in what he can do. Um, but with it, you know, all of these guys like, yes, we missed on Schuster, but we did get the, we did get the Dylan Rollins. We did get the Weston Jones. We did the, get the Sione Hingano. We did get uh, the Migas. Like it's, there are bodies in the trenches. And I think even on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensively, this is a class that loads up 
really for the next, I mean, half a decade, right. Of like, there's guys, I don't think there's any on either the offensive or defensive side of the ball. I don't feel like there's any of the guys that they signed today that I'm like, uh, that's kind of a reach. I don't think he'll ever really amount to much. Like everyone, you watch a film, you're like, okay, this kid can play. Like, I don't know, is he going to necessarily be an all-timer and get drafted in the first round of the NFL or, you know, turn out like Brady Christensen? No, probably, I mean, also not, but it's, you look at it like, does this, you know, compared to in years past of the guys that have been coming in to round out the class, are they better? Yes. Like I think top to bottom, there's more solid depth when you look down and there's not just, there's not a single guy in the class that I'm like, yeah, this was kind of just a late offer that we got, or we threw that out there because we had one to give and you were a fringe. Yeah. I mean, when the closest thing to that's going to be Sione Hingano and there's a very, very uh, reasonable explanation for why he's in the mix. Right. And anybody who watches his progression from his junior to his senior year is going to get it. It makes all the sense in the world. The dude works hard. And that's, what's I think maybe the most special about Hingano and why you're okay. Taking that risk is that for the most part, that progression came on his own. He wasn't able to work with coaches or his team for, for most of the off season because of COVID. And so he took a huge step forward based on his own work, his own hard work and merit. And if you're Eric Mateos, and, and the philosophy of that, you know, blue grit that he tries to instill in his offensive linemen. That's exactly what you're looking for. So it makes all the sense in the world why BYU would take a, you know, a little bit of a flyer on a guy like that. So he got I, also, I, I really he like transferred to a new school too. So he, correct because he transferred from Mesa high to Chandler high. So he also had to, you know, figure some things out as well there. Like he wasn't, right. um, you know, was working into new things and maybe, you know, I mean, Chandler High is what is the best program, one of the best programs in the state of Arizona. And, you know, he probably got better coaching there than he did at Mesa. And, you know, that aided in his development as well. Yeah, for sure. So overall, I really like the class. We've got a ton of coverage on, I think I published something like 25 different articles today over on 24 How, how many did you write? Over on Cougar. Uh, Well, no. I've been writing for the last few weeks not few weeks, but probably for the last two weeks, I've been preparing for really anybody who even had a, a, a sort of a potential to sign with BYU. Uh, they got an article from me, uh, just kind of like a skeleton article as I prepared for potentially, right? Um, potentially them signing. So I think I wrote, oh, I'd have to check my Google Docs, but I think I probably wrote close to 40. And, and you are not I the only have. one who does this. Like, is this a bad time to remind you that there is an article that is, if you Google it, it will come up, but you, there's no link to get to it for the official signing day announcement for Cortland Sutton signing as a defensive back at BYU, that that exists on BYUcougars.com? It is, that is sad, isn't it? So it's, I think but even it does, you, like you, you see all of the surface level things, right? And it's, but I think- going back to obviously what you were saying, but then also when we were talking about the other schools, the schools were not just doing this, waiting for the letters to come in. They have to do it for everyone they know is already committed and then get from the staff and be like, oh, uh, these 15 other guys we think are still making up their mind and there's a chance. So yep. there's a lot work, like the work you see put out is probably about half of what was actually done. Yeah, I had about 40 articles out, um, you know, just like profiles and things. Uh, I already released 
my early big board for 2022. Um, you know, as, as the coaching staff turns the page on 2021, starts to focus on the future in recruiting, I went ahead and released my big board there. Uh, we talked about the, I have another article out on the projected you know, quote unquote, real class of 2021 for BYU that includes the missionaries. And there's some studs that are coming in. I mean, we Kalani didn't really talk about them today at all. They usually don't. They'll wait until February. Uh, usually they'll announce a handful in the early signing period. But I think with COVID, missions are so confusing and nobody really knows you know, like when they're going to come back. Some people are going the full two years. Some are going longer than the two years. Some are going well short. So rather than, you know, figuring out a few, I think Kalani just kind of said, hey, let's just bag it. Let's focus on the recruits. Um, but I went ahead and projected who I'm most confident in coming. And it's guys like Oliver Nasilai, Viliami Tausinga, uh, Campbell Barrington. That dude hits like a Oh, he's a, he's a truck. Oh, yeah. Campbell Barrington is a big one. Uh, Clark Barrington. Okay, so when people when when Clark Barrington, who's made a pretty big impact on the offensive line this year, when he was offered, it was really easy for people to say, eh, they're offering Clark in an effort to get Campbell. Like, no, that wasn't true. They liked Clark. But that was the thought process because Campbell was such a good prospect already. And so Campbell Barrington's a big deal. He's coming back. Dallin Holker will be back. Brooks Miley is a guy that I'm really, really high on, uh, an inside defensive lineman. Um, I don't think that people are giving him the credit he deserves. He's going to be 6'5", 300 pounds when he gets home. Uh, he's he's fast. He's physical. He's strong. Uh, I think he's a guy who's going to be in the mix. The, the faster he can shake off his mission rust, the faster he gets onto the field. If he's in shape, he's able to go. I think he plays Almost right away, Kate Albright comes back. Uh, Chase Roberts comes back. So a, a lot of really good, um, a lot of really good missionaries are coming back and, and set to join the program. Chase Roberts, I just I have his profile pulled up, but just to kind of illustrate what we were talking about earlier, his composite score that aggregates all of the scores is an eighty-four point one. His twenty-four-seven sports score is an eighty-eight. Like you don't usually see a discrepancy that large that tells you okay 24 7 sports had them at an 88 that means that that means the 24 you know that rivals and all those others they really have to have him as a two-star player to get to that 84 rating yeah actually let me try to find his pull up his rivals i'd go look but i'm sure it'll just upset me um if it will load the i the number you said 5.3 oh that (laughs) happens every time you were dead on Every time, man. Like, if you look, I, I, I have not looked. I know that Dallin Havea uh, was not rated on Rivals until, I think, this morning. If you're there, pull up Dallin Havea on Rivals. Just see what his is. I'm going to guess it's a 5.3. I have not looked. He was not rated until this morning. Uh, uh, and Chase Roberts by ESPN was a 77. Oh, I don't no. know. I don't know what their skin. Chase Roberts. The I can't even find him on there. Apparently, there was a Chase Roberts who signed with Georgia Tech in 2012. Um, <laughs> uh, Dallin is a 5.4. Oh, so they gave him a little bit of a boost. Yeah, I, I, there we go. Maybe they've changed in the two years since I've left. 5.4 is the new default. I don't know. I'm telling you, though, they don't look at film, it's all driven. I guarantee you that. <laughs> 
uh, I'm not going to name names because I don't know who it is anymore, but the people responsible for the West region, I guarantee you they have not watched Dallin Havea play one snap, not one. And they gave him a rate. And it just, it irritates me because this is a, you know, this is important for the kids. That's what bugs me the most is that like, Hey, these kids want to be rated. They want to be three-star, two-star, four-star, whatever to put on their Twitter bio. Like this is a cool thing for them. And rivals doesn't even take the time to try. They just, they're like big posers in it all. And it just drives me up yeah, the wall. So they have Inoka Migao is a 5.5. They also have Tavita Mafileo still listed as a commit. Mm. And well, that's, also that's been a while at a 5.5. So Rivals is a little little behind the ball there. Um, oh, they Rivals also has Hinkley Ropati listed as a member of the 2021 class. Well, so. you know, uh, like I say, well, I mean, I mean, Rivals, this should tell you everything really that you need to know about Rivals and how seriously they take BYU. Go ahead and look at the, go to cougarnation.com and, and just look at who wrote the most recent BYU article. It was me. I wrote it. I haven't written for Rivals for two years, but, but I was the one who wrote the most recent article for CougarNation.com. Yeah. Um, so. so I think plenty of recruiting talk. Let's get forward to, we have a game to preview. There's going to be, before we record our next week's episode, um, there will be a bowl game against UCF. And before actually we hop into that, uh, I do want to, Take a minute to thank our sponsor, Teeples Consulting. If you have a small bit to medium or large size business, really any size business, they will work with you know just a few people in a shop who need an extra hand or up to large companies like TeamViewer, Ancestry.com, and even Brigham Young University um, directly with you know, bringing in outside consultants to help get data and processes in place and streamlined to help make you help your business have data-driven decisions. Um, guiding your next steps. And so if you are interested in that, that is something you need, or you just want to talk about Cougar sports, uh, give Ryan a call. You can get their information at teeplesconsulting.com. That's T-E-E-P-L-E-S consulting.com. So with our UCF preview, Jeff, we got to talk about boomers for a second. (laughs) Now, I know about a year ago, there was this thing where people, you know, if you said something stupid or outdated, people were like, okay, boomer. Like if you got, you know, if you were kind of a NIMBY and you heard that term, they'd be like someone who's like not in my backyard going to get upset about this. Um, But people, the biggest or one of the biggest complaints that I've seen with this bowl game is people said it's a sucky bowl game because it's before Christmas. I don't care when the bowl game is like I, I know that used to be a bigger thing where it was like oh the sucky bowls are before christmas and then the good bowls were after christmas and then but then the good all the bowls kind of started being till after christmas and there were only a couple before christmas and then now it's cut down to really there's only six bowls that matter and of those six only two of them matter and every other other bowl is just like yeah cool pat on the back well done you get to go be fun i think personally players would rather have a game I think most players would rather have a bowl game before Christmas if it was up to them so they can be done with the semester and home with their families. Like if they, like they don't want to spend the holiday, like I think probably playing a bowl game on December 26th is probably like the most annoying thing as a player because they don't get to like 
spend a normal Christmas where if they played on the 23rd or the 22nd, like BYU is going to, they'll have a normal Christmas and get to be home with their parents and their family for the first time in six months. Yeah. And I think this year that's probably more important than it even is in normal years. Like I I don't think we can overstate I mean, how difficult COVID has been on these players, like all the protocols and all the things that they've had to do in order to play games has been rough. Like we're all struggling, right? Like everybody at some point in this pandemic has felt that, uh, you know, felt that just exhausted feeling of I'm sick of being at home, sick of wearing a mask. I'm sick of doing this and that I'm sick of, you know, we all just want this to be over. And the players feel that too. The players are sick of getting tested three, four five times a week. Like the players are sick of living by themselves because they moved out of their housing and into their own house in an effort to be more isolated so that they wouldn't get, uh, you know, they, they were able to minimize their exposure. And so I think this year, more than ever, if you're not going to one of the, the New Year's six games, who cares? It's just to get, it, it, get into a bowl and then on the other side of that, you know, to kind of reiterate the point from a different a different paradigm, there are games that are getting canceled already. Like there have been a lot of bowls that canceled before they even named teams. But even like the Frisco Bowl, it was going to be SMU and UTSA. SMU had COVID issues. The Frisco Bowl's canceled, and so UTSA is hoping to get an appointment, uh, an opponent rather, in the the first responder bowl now. But even that's not a guarantee, right? None of these right. things are guaranteed. The so for BYU you play, to, the longer you're flirting with it not happening at all. Yeah, exactly. And so for BYU to say, okay, uh, let's get a game December 22nd. It, you know, it, it's a week and a half after their most recent game. UCF is in the same boat. It's in the state of Florida where COVID restrictions are, you know, looser right now than you know, say California. And, and so it's like, okay. If we can get this game in, awesome. Like, that's the goal. Let's just get it in. Uh, people have said, well, a ranked BYU should have been playing a ranked opponent. And I, I understand the logic. Half of the ranked opponents are playing in the New Year's Six. So those are already taken off the table completely. And then the other games, like the games that are still scheduled to happen, like the Gator Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, those are still contracted, you know, P5 versus P5, SEC versus Big 12, most of them. Uh, if you just slate the ranked SEC, Big Ten, and uh, Big 12 teams, then they're all gone. All the ranked P5 teams fit into either the New Year's Six or one of those other three bowls. Like the, I can't remember which one it is. There's the the Gator Bowl, the Citrus the, Bowl, and like Citrus the Music Bowl. Bowl. This is a big yeah, that's it. Yep. And so if you slot teams into those like all of the ranked p5 teams are now gone like byu doesn't have a chance to get into any of those bowls and i think what the committee proved yesterday is even if byu had beaten coastal carolina they're still probably not in a new Year's six game you're still probably playing in the boca raton bowl like that's probably what's going to happen so the only other ranked teams you're looking at like san jose state buffalo you know like and they're going to their contracted bowls too which are worse so i mean the book would would a byu fan be happy like would you really honestly just because of the little 22 next to their name would you be happier to play buffalo than you would ucf i wouldn't you know give me that game against ucf i get that byu plays them in a few years but give me ucf over buffalo or san jose or louisiana 100 times out of 100 right and it's i mean ucf is still they are ranked right now they are 29th in the ap poll 
because they're receiving votes. So if UCF wins, they will finish ranked. So it's like for all intents and purposes, this is a ranked and as good of bowl matchup as it would have been. Now, would it have been preferable, I guess, from an optic standpoint to say play, say like an Oklahoma State team and say get that P5 stamp on there? Probably, yeah. But also if UCF's kicker can make a field goal against Memphis, then they are instead of six and three, they're seven and two and they're ranked number 24. And we're yeah. like, oh, cool. This is a solid, good match. This is a good top 25 matchup. And I've heard some people too say that it, I mean, as well, when we're talking about payouts, like I think part of this and what was reported is that ESPN is being this, being an ESPN owned event. The um, ESPN is honoring and is going to pay the full contracted amount of this bull. And the full BYU is going to get the full nine hundred thousand dollars. And Did you, oh, that's confirmed. That's someone I saw. I think is KSL reported it. Um, okay. That's a big deal, right? And so other bulls are saying uh, it's going to be less. And so BYU is in a position. And so I think, especially for these some of these smaller bulls, I think we realize that like the and this is a big problem for BYU for a long time when they were in the whack is that we went to a bowl every year and the program lost money because the WAC did not deduct the expenses of going to the bowl game. Cause if you don't sell your allotment of tickets to the bowl game, you have to, the program has to buy them from the mm-hmm. bowl itself to keep the bowl afloat. And so if you are looking at that, so it's like, you know, whatever, or, and then the, obviously the travel expenses and putting the team in the hotel and all of that stuff, it costs money to play road games. And if you aren't getting this, you know, if you aren't getting this um, money or the way it worked in the whack was they didn't deduct it. They just said, oh, whatever the bowl payout is, that's going to get split evenly between the conference members. So BYU would get, you know, say $250,000 for this thing that was split eight, 10 ways between everyone in the Mac or in the whack, but they spent $7,500,000 going to the bowl game and they only walked away with $30,000 for winning. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's whatever. I don't know what the numbers are exactly back in that era, but so with these bowl games, getting it actually guaranteed and being actually able to play a game, right? Like SMU would have loved to play in the first go bowl because they wanted a check and they need to pay bills. And if this game gets canceled, you know, it's early enough that if it's canceled, there's still time that you could say, okay, we're going to stay ready. Slot us to a bowl on December 27th. We'll be ready to go. Like this gives BYU flexibility to jump in and play any game and possibly maybe in the, maybe they still do that and say, Hey, we're going to try for a second bowl game. Let's do this. And, you know, gives them the opportunity to be flexible. And it is as good of a matchup as you are going to reasonably get in a bowl game. And it's, I mean, even, you know, people you can harp on, but, and we've talked about this too. And like, Oh, we should join the AAC or join the mountain West because this gives us the opportunity to, you know, go to the NY six right now. There is no clear path to the NY six. Like, okay. So coastal Carolina or Cincy, one of those two is going to go to the new year six. They're going to play the worst rated team in that new year six. So they're probably going to end up playing Iowa state and really two years from now, is anybody going to remember that Cincinnati played Iowa state in the Fiesta bowl? Just Cincinnati fans. I mean, right. that's it, right? Like that's Versus, the value of the game. And I've been to multiple Fiesta bowls and yeah, it was fun to go to, but it's still, 
what you are trading is when you look at, okay, what the original 21 or 2020 schedule was, or let's take a look at the 2021 BYU football schedule. You are trading, oh, maybe once, maybe twice a decade, you could go to this or you could play Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, at USC, Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, USF, all in the same season, right? Like that's the, you're getting the quality, like we're getting one to two New Year's Six type matchups a year, plus a mess of other P5 matchups that are way more fun. And trust me, it is a lot more fun to go and play at Nebraska or at Michigan or at Texas than it is to play them at a neutral site in a bowl game. It's true. And and really the value for BYU as well is that a lot of these P5 schools are coming to Provo. You get to see them play here and it's a big deal. You know, like that's a lot of fun. I I had this argument very early on with people in uh, about independence. And it was exactly that, that no, like, look, the, the way independence is set up is it's the, the bowl games are played throughout the year. And that's really kind of the the truth. BYU will play Arizona, Utah, Arizona State. And all three of those games are home games. Arizona's in Las Vegas. It's not really a home game. But you can get to Las Vegas really easy. And a lot of BYU fans live there anyways. It's for all intents and purposes, it's a home game. Utah in Provo, Arizona State in Provo. Uh, That's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. So, I, I like I, I like where your head's at. I do think that the NY6, and Kirk Herbstreet also said this, that the NY6 is overvalued now, uh, and it is. It just is. Like, nobody remembers, even, even just a couple of years ago, UCF beat Auburn, I think, in, was it Auburn? I think it was yeah, Auburn. They beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl and then lost to LSU. In the right, so they beat, they beat an SEC team a couple of years ago, and then they claim a national championship for themselves. And now here we are just two years later slated to play them in a bowl game. And people are disappointed. Like that, that, it's the that memory, new year six, the memory is short. And yeah, that, that new year six win over Auburn did doesn't have any staying power for the national landscape of college football. It's a great win. I, I obviously we'd all prefer to go to the NY six, but we could be plenty happy about playing UCF. Right. It's not like this season was a failure. Right. And I think, to people don't also don't understand that the types of players like in the rise and we I know we talked this before but like Zach Wilson is not playing in Provo and he is playing at either Oregon State or Iowa if BYU is in a G5 conference like period like that period that is where he's at and things are different the amount of money coming into the program um yeah i mean you're you're absolutely right is that is the difference. That's what independence brings. Um, if it weren't for BYU's schedule, if it weren't for, I don't know, you know, if it weren't for a lot of things like that, BYU would, uh, they would be in a different situation with the talent. So I like, I like what's happening for the Cougars. I like signing day. I like this matchup against UCF. I don't know if we're going to have a post game show against UCF, given that it's a Tuesday night game and we'll record on Wednesday anyways. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I feel like maybe we need to, uh, we need to set some sort of a threshold. Like if the over 
because these are two high powered offenses and two less than high powered defenses. Oh, I, I don't mean to say that. I could almost feel you like twitching no, a little bit I, no, when no, I no, said no, no. less than high powered defense. No, I think I think that we will probably just we will do a a season recap on Wednesday. The game being on Tuesday, we will do our post game review and a season slash preliminary season recap, just as our normal show next Wednesday. I like that. Okay, I'm in. I was gonna say something like crazy number like if the the game total goes over like 88 and a half then maybe we have to do a post game show uh, i'd say okay if it goes over 91 okay 91 90 well we'll, we'll go 91 and a half okay so that we don't 91 push. And a half. Um, so if it's a 92 so if it's what is that 47 42 well, what no that doesn't 40, math. what yeah, is what is 40, my math? 92 47 45 okay um, so there you go. It's going to be a high scoring game. The other thing on this bowl game that I have seen is people say that talk about it being a home game for UCF. I think Florida is a big state. Boca Raton <laughs> is three, a three hour drive from UCF or like from Orlando where UCF is. So now, it's still like, they're still going to have to travel. Yes. It's not as far, but they're still going to have to travel. They're sleeping in a hotel away from home. There's limited fans. There will probably be, roughly equal, maybe even more BYU fans there. I, I know quite a few people, a handful of people who have bought tickets and are going and BYU's allotment sold out in about 15 minutes, right? Like it <laughs> didn't take long at all. And so I think, you know, I think it's going to be a good, fun game, which is exactly what you want out of a bull matchup. A hundred percent. Garrett, let's move on to our, our picks. Um, Oh, well, hold on. One more thing before we move on that we do have to cover. Jeff, uh, Jamie Chadwell was former formally extended today. He had been like a seven-year extension, head coach of Coastal Carolina. It had been rumored for a while that that was in the works. It officially came to fruition today. And so a seven-year extension, and the only reason we bring this up is to extend Kalani yesterday. I wrote an article that the time to extend to extend Kalani is yesterday. Like it, it's time. And people have said, oh, well, he just got an extension a year ago. Why? Because it's not the same, right? College football is not the same as another business. It's because David Hickey, the athletic director at Arizona, is ringing up Kalani's phone trying to get him to talk about going to Tucson. And so is right. every other school that is, has an opening. They are gauging his interest. And so you get the extension. The extension is there whatever the extension is there to up the buyout. It is to commit to recruiting and at BYU where you have a longer recruiting cycle, you need those contracts even to be longer because you need to bake in the extra time for a mission. But if a P5 school comes calling and Kalani leaves, you want to that school to cut as big of a check as possible to the program, which is exactly what Jamie, why Jamie Chadwell got a seven-year extension. Right. They know there is no administrator at Coastal that thinks he's going to be there. In They're hoping seven for years. two, yeah. and they want seven years so they can say, oh, okay, well, we were paying him $5 million a year, whatever, but then because he left for another program, there's these kickers and this, and there are different things like that that are baked into contracts where it's like some SEC schools, like you have to pay more if you are leaving for a program like if you are leaving to go work at Bama, then it's 
the buyout is bigger, even for like an assistant coach and things like that. Like that is a thing like with program specific kickers and things you say like, okay, if you are going to, if Jamie Chadwell is leaving for a P5 school and there's five years left on his contract, you need to give us double his salary for the remainder of the contract or whatever. And it, he is doing this, he secures his job, but everybody knows he will not be there forever. But should somebody come knocking and try to get Kalani away and shows him the money and for whatever reason, he decides to leave. Like he doesn't owe BYU anything. If he decides to leave, then BYU wants to have a lot of money to go out and hire the next coach. Right. Protect yourself. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to not extend him because even if you have to fire him and your own buyout goes up, boosters are paying that money anyways. Like that's the way that it works. So extend him. Nobody complained when Mark Pope got extended through 2027 after one good year. Nobody complained. Nobody said a word. So extend Kalani again. Uh, yes, he was extended last year. I get it. Mark Pope signed a brand new contract last year. Mark Pope had a great season as the head coach of BYU basketball and was extended for seven years at the beginning of this season. Like, great. Good for him. Like Nobody's upset by that. Kalani's done the same thing. He took his new contract last year, had a great season this year. Give him the same extension. Extend him through 2027. It's time. Like, it just doesn't make sense not to. I think it's ridiculous that it hasn't happened. I think it will happen very, very soon. Hopefully this week before the bowl game, right after the bowl game. I hope it happens that quick, uh, but it needs to happen. So having said that, uh, I'm excited for our picks this week. You've lined it all up for us. It's championship week. Yes. Let's review our picks for last week. Um, I went one, two, three. I went five and one last week. You went two and four. Oh, the one. I'm sorry, Jeff. Both of us picked Arizona to cover the 11 point spread in the territorial cup, which ended up being 70 to seven. And Kevin Sumlin is no longer employed by the university of Arizona. Hoping the best for my guy, AJ Stewart though. Yeah. That was unfortunate that he left and went there and that, I mean, he got, he got his money though. Uh, for that one year. So he's, he's sitting better still than he was before. Um, and I hope, I think he is valued in the college football community and he will land on his feet shortly. And I don't think he'll be hurting for a job. Um, and he's the kind of guy that he may even be retained by whoever the new coach is. Um, so it's not necessarily set in stone. So we have 10 picks today. We have all 10 conference championships. We do not have the we do not have the BYU game up yet because I have not seen a line for that game yet. I, I saw four that BYU was favored by four, but then I saw somebody else say that BYU was an underdog for the first time, and I have not actually seen a line myself. So, okay, so we're gonna if it's if it's an obscure offshore bookie that I have no idea who it is, or just like you know, some random guy in Kearns who's taking bets under the table. <laughs> We don't count that here. There's got to be bona fide, real deal casinos. Um, why, why Kearns, man? I don't know. What do you got against Kearns? I, okay, fine. We'll go Clearfield. Some random guy in Clearfield. <laughs> oh, you know what? Actually, right here, uh, William Hill just posted their BYU line just a little bit ago. It is BYU minus four. Okay, so we will add that. You minus four. UCF. Okay. So we got 11 today, so we cannot push this week. Our first pick UAB. This is the conference USA championship. UAB is a three or five point underdog. 
at Marshall. Marshall, who laid an egg against Rice. Did you know that? So if Rice had beaten, I think it was UAB is who they played. If Rice had won last Saturday, UTSA would actually be playing in the conference championship game. I know that game was frustrating when it happened, but they ended up turning it around. They have a lot of young people, and Jeff Trailer has a really good thing going there. Jeff Trailer's a heck of a coach. Um, I, I feel like I am a little bit disadvantaged when it comes to the Conference USA, MAC, uh, the, uh, the, the Sun Belt games. You follow these tiny little conferences way more closely than I do. I just don't buy Marshall, and that's it. That's really what it comes down to for me. So give me UAB and the points because I'm not really a believer in Marshall's season this year. And I think that they were exposed against Rice, who was just, eh. Yeah, I think, you know, I agree. UAB, they had a couple, I mean, their few losses that they had, I mean, they lost in overtime to Louisiana Tech. Um, they barely beat Rice, but then it's like, I mean, they played Louisiana Lafayette really close and only lost by four. They stomped Western Kentucky. They beat UTSA handily. It's UAB is still a good program. And I think I definitely take them to cover and I would not be surprised if they win it outright. And I think if they do win, this may be a situation where their coach, Bill Clark, starts looking, uh, you know, he may be in it, find himself in a Brian Harson situation where he resurrected them back from the dead after their program was shut down and then rebuilt and took them quickly to multiple conference championships. It might be a good time for him to jump. Um, we'll jump next to the Sun Belt Championship. Louisiana is a three and a half point underdog at coastal carolina are the chanticleers gonna win it um i mean it would make me feel better if they did but i hate them i just have this passionate fiery hate for them and their mullets so give me coat or give me uh, louisiana because of my hate for coastal i mean i think it's hard to beat a team twice in a year and i think that louisiana is obviously like they are their only losses to coastal. They stomped Iowa state. They stomped number six, Iowa state on the road. Number and, six, Iowa. And they, I, you know, I think that Louisiana could just win this straight up as well. Um, I coastal look, there were some chinks in the armor. Um, and I think Troy kind of may have shown a game plan that works against their defense as well. And Louisiana is no slouch. And I think, I think Louisiana is going to pull this one out. Um, I will never hear the phrase chinks in the armor and not remember. Do you remember when ESPN, that when some writer wrote an article after, remember like Lynn Sanity when Jeremy Lynn was on the Knicks and he was oh going gosh. through his crazy, crazy, crazy like run of like just insane performance. And then he had a stumble and it was like the first game after this big run where he didn't perform well. And the, whoever the writer was that picked the headline posted a big picture of Jeremy Lin and said, a chink in the armor. Oh, no. And it clearly wasn't meant to be racist, but it clearly was taken. Oh, right? no. like I, I, I want to give this whoever it was the benefit of the doubt that like they didn't mean to do that. They were thinking of using chinks in the armor the same way you just did, like totally passive, but they didn't put it together that Jeremy Lin is of Chinese descent. And so when you put those two things right there overlaid over each other, uh, no, you can't do that. And so poor taste. So that's what I think of every time I hear that phrase. Um, that is really unfortunate. 
Yeah, awful. Uh, just oh gosh. Um, okay, down to the Mountain West. Boise State is a six and a half point favorite against the San Jose State Spartans. I, as um, much as I don't want to do this, I think I have to take Boise here. I don't know if I'm sold on San Jose State as a top 25 team, even though they, are, know. you know, they've been like, they're they're like a USC undefeated right now. I like that. <laughs> it's like you're surprised that they are. I yeah, I agree. I well, I don't know. I don't know if I agree. Here's why I don't. I feel like I want this game to become the winner gets the Arizona job. And I think that, that Brent Brennan at San Jose more. State is more likely to be the winner or is more likely to be the next coach of Arizona than Brian Harson. So I'm going to say San Jose State covers at least, and they might win out of like one more for the Gipper before he takes the new job. You know, now you have me thinking because I, it's six and a half. Like it's will Boise win by a touchdown or is this going to be an ugly game? What's the weather in Vegas? They're playing it in Vegas. Mountain West gave San Jose the home game. And then because San Jose doesn't play, because they use their like computer algorithm or whatever to come up with who the best team is. Uh, And so. They determined oh, because this, it's the higher ranked in the CFP and San Jose, State. whatever it is. Yeah. So San Jose state ended up being the home team, but San Jose state's not playing in San Jose because of COVID. So this game is being played at Sam Boyd stadium in Las Vegas. Got it. Um, you know, I would have to say, you know, I think I am as well as I think Boise state wins, but San Jose state will cover a touchdown is a lot. And I think San Jose state, will be fired up or it will either be a San Jose state cover or Boise state will win by 28 plus. This will not, there will not be a like Boise state 10 to 14 solid in control win. Like it will either be a hard fought San Jose state close, really close, or maybe San Jose state wins by like two or three, or it will be a Boise state blowout. Yep. (laughs) I think you're right. No in between there. Um, (laughs) Okay, the MAC championship. Ball State is a 13 and a half point favorite on the road against Buffalo. I am taking Buffalo because I feel bad for their running back because their coach pulled him 20 yards away from breaking two NCAA records. And he, and I'm still angry at that coach. And I want that running back to have another career day. And I think Ball State also is just not that good, and the Mac is horrible. And I have literally only watched one Mac game this entire year. <laughs> and that was the last three minutes of that Buffalo game when they're running back. They pulled him as soon as he went over 400 yards and didn't give him one more carry to break the single game yardage record. And well, they put in the backup, and the backup's first carry, he scored a 25 yard touchdown, which would have broken the single game yardage record and the single game touchdown record. I had no idea that this happened. Well, uh, the announcers I, I, were so mad. Like, I'll find, <laughs> the announcers like, no, why are they pulling him out? I'm so angry. Like, somebody tell the coach how close this kid is. Like, did they think he already did it? Like, they were oh, very man. upset. Well, I have no idea. Just for the sake of I don't want to end up with a tie, I'm going to pick Ball State because I have no idea. Like, I, you know, no clue who wins. Remember when Mac. Brady Hoke used to be the coach at Ball State? Yeah, how weird. Good times. Um, okay, Tulsa is a 14-point underdog at Cincinnati. 
Cincinnati hasn't played in like a month. Like it's been forever since they've played and Tulsa's good. I think Cincinnati wins because Cincinnati's the better team, but I think that Tulsa keeps this, this game close. I think the interesting question here for me is if Tulsa, so hold on, let me pull up the CFP rankings really quick. So obviously if Coastal wins and if Tulsa wins and Coastal wins, Coastal is going to the New Year's Six because they will be the highest ranked champion. If the oh that and there is that caveat, isn't there? It has so, to be the highest ranked champion. Yes. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how far since he drops. If they lose, they ain't going because they will drop out of you know number eleven. So Coastal is twelve, right? They and no matter what happens, even I. I would not be shocked if Coastal drops to number 13 because they will not let a second team in. I mean, I don't know. They they might leave that Dude. there just after the blowback of how stupid the rankings were this week. They, I could see Coastal sneaking in just because people were so angry about everything. I, but, I agree. I just, the committee hasn't done anything that makes sense yet. So trying so, to predict what they're going to do. I, who knows? Right. So we have, let's see here, potentials. So conference champions, there's Cincinnati um, is nine. Coastal is 12. They're the favorites here. And you've got Louisiana, 19. Tulsa is at 23. And then San Jose State at 24. If Louisiana beats Coastal and Tulsa beats Cincy, where do you think that shakes out? I think does Tulsa <laughs> Tulsa is four spots behind Cincinnati right now. Does Tulsa jump Louisiana or is uh, it no. going to end up like Louisiana will move up to like 15 and Tulsa will move up to 16 and Louisiana is going to get the bid? I don't think that honestly, if, if both of those teams win, I think that Louisiana moves up. I don't think Tulsa moves up hardly at all. I think Cincinnati moves way down, like we saw with BYU, like a you know a huge drop. And I think that the committee then says, "Well, look at Louisiana's resume. They have a win over top six Iowa State and top whatever Coastal, and Louisiana ends up being your pick because the likelihood that Louisiana goes in and beats Iowa State again seems like you know unlikely. I think that's what they would do." And I'm a believer in the conspiracy theories in the cabal. So I just think they would look at the the matchups and say that Tulsa would beat Louisiana head to head. So let's put Louisiana ranked higher so that the, the P5 team beats up on Louisiana. I mean, what a year for the Sun Belt that it's, you know, looking like there's a, you know, there's a chance that, I mean, maybe that either way they could be sneaking a team into the NY six. If, cause even if coastal Carolina beats Louisiana, that's a top 20 win for them. Louisiana will probably drop out of the rankings entirely, depending on what the game looks like. And so maybe they'll probably tank them. So they don't get that in there, but it's, you know, if coastal finishes 12 and oh, one, they managed to play 12 games in a season mm-hmm. Two, they won all of them. And then if they sneak into number 11, like awesome for them in their program, um, great year for the Sun Belt. Overall, very surprising. I think the Sun Belt is really shedding because it was always, oh, it was like, oh, it was, you know, the G5 was always the American. And before the American, it was Conference USA because that was the American. It was the same thing, right? Like it was always Conference USA in the Mountain West and then everybody else. And then Conference USA 
kind of became a laughing stock of sorts, right? Because they pulled up a bunch of FCS schools and invited a bunch of Sunbelt schools, whatever. And then, you know, it's weird how the American was kind of in shambles after the Big East fell apart and now has separated itself as by far the best G5 conference. And then the Sunbelt went from, this is the no-name league of everyone that sucks and a bunch of their teams left to go fill backfill Conference USA. And the Sunbelt now invited a bunch of good FCS schools like Georgia State well, and Georgia Southern. Well, Georgia State was a startup, sorry. Georgia Southern, App State, and Coastal Carolina. And now it's like that's become a solid pro conference, right? Like that's the Sunbelt is now probably this, this year at least, the Sunbelt is the second best conference behind you know, the American and the G4, like it's the Sunbelt is every bit as good as the Mountain West. And yeah, that's I just agree. something weird to think about because a couple of years ago, it was like, okay, it was Mount American, a little bit of a drop to the Mountain West, good size drop to the Mac, but the Mac was still respectable because it's been there forever. And then you had the Sunbelt and Conference USA down at the bottom, no one thinking about either of them. I think the Sunbelt, here's my innovative conference commissioner hat. The Sunbelt, I don't even know if this is possible, should dip into the HBCUs and go get Jackson State now that Deion Sanders is there and they're flipping commits from Georgia. Okay. Give them a little bit of money. Did you see that today? They flipped a four-star corner from Georgia that's going to Jackson State to play for Deion Sanders. So just take a little bit of a gamble. Sunbelt, Funbelt, go add Jackson State, see how good they can become. Turn Jackson State into a powerhouse i think that they could get i have no idea what kind of a coach Deion sanders is going to be but i know that he's going to recruit and i know that as long as they're able to hide their recruiting violations i'm not going to say avoid them because we all know they're happening as soon as they're able to hide their recruiting violations that's a good program they're going to do some big things they're going to have talent i'm excited to watch jackson state yeah, I think, you know, the Sunbelt, it's the, every year there is, it's constant talk about the Sunbelt. And it's kind of ironic because Conference USA pulled a bunch of old Sunbelt teams. And now they're like, huh, wait a minute. Having a conference that goes from Miami, Florida to El Paso, Texas, up to Norfolk, Virginia, is maybe, maybe not the best conference financially when we're not making very much money. And so even I think there, I could see something where at least maybe for other sports, they do some type of scheduling agreement or just even blow it up and need a reshuffle and make those leagues more regional because there's Texas schools in the Sunbelt and there's Mm -hmm. Florida schools in Conference USA and just kind of get things back in the original footprint. But I don't know now, at least in football, I don't think the Sunbelt really wants to do that because a lot of those Sunbelt schools are in smaller towns that have a lot more institutional and community support. And, you know, you do have the App States and the Louisianas and now the Coastal Carolinas and those schools that are kind of, you're in a place where people kind of rally around it. Whereas some of the other Conference USA schools, like your Florida Atlantic or Florida International, you're fighting, you know, for attention or in your UTSA or your UTEP, like it's the just small town community support isn't there. And so it kind of makes it harder to build a long-term program. So that is something to be interesting to keep an eye on, or maybe they just blow up their thing. Like, I think I saw the American is getting, they're not doing baseball schedules anymore. They, oh, that's too bad. Well, they, so they are playing baseball, but they're and they're having a conference tournament and you are free to schedule however you want to, but it's regular seasons will be independently scheduled 
to save on travel costs and they're not going to force Tulsa's baseball team to go down to Tampa Bay to play USF. Hmm. Unnecessarily. Well, there you go. Right? They're going to say like, if you want to play each other, cool. If not, but we're not going to do, we're just going to do a regular season or a tournament to do the NCAA seating. We, um, we've talked about Mike Oresco. Like the guy is a forward thinking dude. So good for right. them. And I think, I mean, personally, I think there should be football conferences and everyone or everyone should be independent and then everything else, like separate everything yeah. else and hyper-regionalize and save on costs because they don't make you money anyway. Um, so that rounds out our G5. Now let's hammer through the P5 really quick. Much less interesting storylines. USC is a three-point favorite against Oregon after Washington got the vid and had to drop out. I don't think Oregon is that good this year, and I don't know how good USC is this year either. So I'm, I'm fine. I'm this is this one's tough for me. Uh, this is really tough. I was really hoping you were gonna say a pick there so that I could just pick the opposite because I could go either way. Uh, if I had to choose, I probably take USC. I don't know. I, now I'm talking myself into Oregon. I think that US that Oregon is going to be a little bit more motivated to beat USC than USC is to finish undefeated and whatnot. So give me give me Oregon. Okay. Um, where is USC? Yeah, I'm gonna. You took Oregon. I'm gonna go the opposite and say USC because. Everybody wants to see USC fans more angry about going to another New York six game because they can't fire their coach as a result. Right. Um, okay. Ohio state is a 21 point favorite against Northwestern. Uh, that's a lot of points. Um, I'm taking Ohio state until they prove me wrong. Like I don't, I don't uh, think, I mean, no, I know Northwestern has a, has a solid defense, but I think this game could be 21 to zero. I'm not a believer in Northwestern. I want to make that That's, clear, but I 21 points is a lot against that defense. So just give me, I, I think Ohio state wins, but give me Northwestern and 21 points. Okay. Um, Oklahoma is a five and a half point favorite at Iowa state. Uh, damn well better be Oklahoma just because I'm so freaking tired of Iowa State like they lost to Louisiana that's it that should be enough so I don't know if Oklahoma covers but I need them to cover in my heart yeah and I think the I mean Iowa State is good i mean they kind of have relied more on brock purdy and Brees um Brees hall i think is his last name uh-huh. um uh-huh. the running back but it's i think spencer rattler is gonna have he's gonna have a big day and it's a different like oklahoma's playing good football right, right. now they so. kind of they struggled at the beginning of the year but they've turned a corner okay clemson is a 10 and a half point favorite on the road in south bend for what is the first conference championship game of Notre Dame football history. And I got to say, I am taking the fighting Irish here because yes, Trevor Lawrence was out the first time they played, but uh, DJ Uyangalele, his play was not the reason they lost that game. He played great. He threw for over 400 yards, right? Like it was not Clemson quarterback play, which is the only difference in this game between this one and the last one is not why they lost. And 10 and a half points is a lot in Notre Dame is a good football team. I thought I was going to be 
uh, a little bit outside by picking Notre Dame, but you're right there with me. I think Notre Dame is going to be pissed. Like I get it. They're playing the real Clemson now and it's different, but I think Notre Dame is going to be pissed. They're an underdog in their home stadium. And after they already beat this team once. So I don't know if they win, but give me 10 and a half points in Notre, a pissed off Notre Dame. Absolutely. Give me Notre Dame. What's interesting? This line opened at seven and a half and has moved to full field goal in full full field goal in Clemson's favor. I, I don't get it. Give I me don't. give me the Irish. No, Ian Book is legit, guys. Like he's he's unbelievable. He's he's one. He's been one of the best quarterbacks, probably the best quarterback that we're not talking about enough. Uh, so give me Notre Dame, and I really want them to win just so that they can you know hang a banner at at uh, in South Bend, uh, ACC champs for the one year they were in the ACC and they can just look at it and be like, guys, this is why we're not at a conference. We went once we won it. It wasn't great. Here we are now. So I think we're both on board there with Notre Dame SEC championship game. Bama is a 17 and a half point favorite at the, for some reason only dropped one GD spot, Florida Gators. I guess not at the Gators. I think the Gators are the home team, but it's played at the in Atlanta at the Superdome. Yeah. Yep. Um, the yeah, Mercedes Benz Field, whatever that's yeah. called, the new one. Yeah, um, give me Bama. They're gonna win like, by because 18? they have to. By eighteen, yeah, they they absolutely have to to restore order in the college football world. They have to do everything they can to make sure that Florida drops the rightful amount of spots that they should drop for Shoegate. So. Yeah, give me Alabama. I just I do not understand how like I don't they, we could do a whole other show about the committee in that how little sense it made that Florida only dropped one spot. Um but looking at this this is another line it opened up at 14 and a half now has moved to 17 and a half and the average computer model is actually picking Bama to win by 18. So let's uh roll tide there. Um go kiss your sister after they win. They um <laughs> uh, and our last game, we, we found the line, pulled it up. BYU is a four-point favorite at a neutral site at the Boca Raton Bowl against the Central Florida Knights. This game is going to be good. And the, the most exciting storyline to me is the Gabriel curse. That's what I'm calling it. That's what I, I wrote this week uh, on Cougar Sports Insider about the Gabriel curse. Throughout the 80s, BYU would frequently, as everybody knows, would frequently go to Hawaii. Right. And they would frequently play the bows and it was close games between the Cougars and the rainbow warriors, but BYU usually came out on top and there was on the islands, what became known as the BYU jinx because they just could not beat BYU until 1989 when Garrett Gabriel threw for 440 yards and absolutely annihilated the 18th ranked Cougars. Then the next year, Ty Detmer wins the Heisman. BYU is ranked fourth in the country and he throws for 360 yards, a pair of touchdowns runs for another yard. Garrett Gabriel. This is as a senior now runs for or throws for 360 yards, throws for two touchdowns, runs for another touchdown. And they just absolutely wax BYU the day after he, after Detmer wins the Heisman two years in a row, Garrett Gabriel beat BYU in just routes, absolutely routed BYU. Here we are now, 30 years later, and BYU is again ranked. They again have a Heisman-type quarterback who's, who's on his way to the NFL. 
and they are again playing a Gabriel. Garrett Gabriel's son is Dylan Gabriel, who's an outstanding quarterback at UCF. And he is looking to beat BYU and continue the Gabriel curse. It was after that game in 1990, BYU didn't lose again to Hawaii for several years till 2001. Like Garrett Gabriel was the only guy who could beat BYU for Hawaii. I think that it runs in his blood. And I think the BYU has the, uh, what is it called? The, the, the antidote to reverse the curse of the Gabriels. And that is Mike Wilson's son, Mike Wilson, also from Hawaii, a Ute. We now have that blood at quarterback for BYU. So really this is like a Hawaiian Ute blood that created Zach Wilson over this Gabriel blood that has this hex over BYU. And that's what's happening. This isn't even about BYU and UCF to be anymore. This is about which curse that lives in BYU lore is bigger. Is it the Ute blood? Is that the, is that the kryptonite for the Gabriels? Because Zach Wilson just wears the BYU jersey, but he was created with Ute blood. Is that enough to overcome Gabriel, this Gabriel curse that is such a uh, has been such a thorn in the side for BYU every time they played a Gabriel? I like BYU. I don't like BYU by four. I think this is a field goal game. Comes down to Jake Oldroyd. So I'm taking UCF to cover, but I do think that in the battle of the bloods, I think that BYU's Ute-blooded quarterback, who's now a, a BYU legend, is what the Cougars needed to overcome the man who slayed BYU's Heisman Trophy winner all those years ago. That was a really weird, weird I, explanation of how I got there. You know, but I'm I, there. Okay, so you're taking UCF to cover. <laughs> All of that. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take the Cougars. I think Zach Wilson, this is going to be his last hurrah. He'll be fired up. Uh, UCF's defense is very meh, and I think he, Zach Wilson, is going to do very well. Obviously, UCF has an extremely high-powered offense. This is going to be a huge test for the BYU defense, um, but it also they are very dependent on – um, you know, they score in chunks and get big plays. And that's something that our defense is designed to stop. And, you know, we saw it last year with the USC game and, you know, that's what, try to keep things contained. And that's going to probably to the annoyance of many to have a similar game plan that's rolled out. Um, but if it works, it works. And we will see what happens. I do think, I think BYU will win. Um, I think it's going to be a funky score. And we're going to see BYU by maybe, uh, I don't know, I think five. We'll see. BYU will cover. It's going to be a weird score. BYU will win by five. And with that, give them hell. Jeff has just texted me to inform me that his children unplugged his router. So he is not able to say give him hell to us at the end of the show. But I will say it for him. Give him hell. 